0: chapter nine of the fathers of new england by charles andrews this librivox recording is in the public domain the bay colony disciplined except for the northern frontier where indian forays and atrocities continued for many years longer the last great struggle with the indians in new england was finished the next danger came from a different quarter and in a different form in june sixteen hundred and seventy six two months before the indian war was over one edward randolph arrived from england to make an inquiry into the affairs of massachusetts that colony had scarcely weathered the ever-threatening peril of the new world when it was called upon to face an attack from the old which endangered the continuance of those precious privileges for which the magistrates at boston had contended with a vigor shrewd rather than wise as we have seen the position that massachusetts assumed as a colony largely independent of british control was incompatible with england's colonial and commercial policy a position that was certain to be called in question as soon as the authorities at home were able to give serious attention to it this opportunity did not arrive until in sixteen hundred and seventy-four the plantations council was dismissed and colonial business was handed over to the privy council and placed in the hands of a standing committee of that body known as the lords of trade this committee which was more dignified and authoritative than had been the old council at once assumed a firmer tone toward the colonies it caused a proclamation to be issued announcing the royal determination to enforce the acts of trade and it made the king's will known in america by means of new instructions to the royal governors there it stated clearly the purpose of the government to bring the colonies into a position of greater dependence on the crown in the interest of the trade and revenues of the kingdom and it showed no inclination to grant massachusetts with all the charges and complaints against her preferential treatment at the same time it was not disposed to pay much attention to religious differences minor misdemeanors and neighborhood quarrels if only the colony would conform to british policy in all that concerned the royal prerogative and the authority of parliament but it made it perfectly plain that continued infractions of parliamentary acts and royal commands would not be condoned had the leaders of massachusetts been more complacent and less given to a policy of evasion and delay it is not unlikely that the colony would have been allowed to retain its privileges and had they been less absorbed in themselves and more observant of the world outside they might have seen the changes that were coming over the temper and purpose of those in england who were shaping the relations between england and her colonies but massachusetts had grown provincial since the restoration looking backward rather than forward and moving in very narrow channels of thought and life so that she was wrapped up in matters of purely local interest the clergy were struggling to maintain their control in colony and college while the deputies in the legislature representing in the main the conservative country districts were upholding the clerical party against some of the magistrates who represented the town of boston and were inclined to take a more liberal and progressive view of the matter these country members saw in england's attitude only the desire of a despotic stuart regime to suppress the liberties of a puritan commonwealth and failed to see that the investigation into the affairs of massachusetts was but an effort to establish a colonial policy fundamental to england's welfare and power it cannot be said that from sixteen hundred and sixty to sixteen hundred and eighty-four the government in england displayed undue animus toward the colony it allowed massachusetts to do a great many things that in law she had no right to do such as coining money and issuing a charter to harvard college its demand for a broadening of the massachusetts franchise was in the interest of liberty and not against it and the insistence on freedom of worship deserves no reproof its condemnation of many of the massachusetts laws as oppressive and unjust shows that in some respects legal opinion in england at this time was more advanced than that in massachusetts and connecticut and even at its worst english law did not go to the mosaic code for its precedents there is a distinct note of cruelty and oppression in some of the massachusetts and connecticut legislation at this time and many of the puritan measures were harsh and arbitrary and liable to abuse even the government support of the mason and gorges claims was not dishonorable and while it may have been unwise and inequity and just it was not without excuse the government listened to complaints of persecution as any sovereign power is required to do and was naturally impressed with the weightiness of some of the charges yet so little inclined was it to tamper with massachusetts that the colony might have succeeded for a longer time at least in maintaining the integrity of its control had not the question of colonial trade brought matters to a crisis under charles the second finances presented a difficult problem for parliament in controlling appropriations took no responsibility for the collection of money granted to meet the deficit which during the earlier years of the reign was ever present efforts were made to increase the revenue from customs and so successful was this policy that after sixteen hundred and seventy five these customs revenues came to be looked upon as among england's greatest sources of wealth now inasmuch as trade with the colonies was one of the largest factors contributing to this result england as she could not afford to maintain colonies that would do nothing to aid her came more and more to value her overseas possessions for their commercial importance classing as valuable assets those that advanced her prosperity and treating as insubordinate those that disregarded the acts of trade and thwarted her policy the independence that massachusetts claimed was diametrically opposed to the growing english notion that a colony should be subordinate and dependent should obey the acts of trade and navigation and should recognize the authority of the crown and from what they heard of the temper of new england english statesmen suspected that massachusetts was doing none of these things edward randolph who was sent over in sixteen hundred and seventy-six to make inquiry into the affairs of the colony was a native of canterbury a former student of gray's inn and at this time forty-three years old the fact that he was connected by marriage with the mason family accounts for his interest in the efforts of gorges and mason to break the hold of massachusetts upon new hampshire and maine he was a personal acquaintance of sir robert southwell the diplomatist and of southwell's intimate friend william blathwaite an influential english official interested in the colonies he had been in the employ of the government and now probably at the instance of southwell and blathwaite he was selected to fill the difficult and thankless post of commissioner to new england that he had ability and courage no one can doubt and that he pursued his course with a tenacity that would have won commendation in other and less controversial fields his career shows his devotion to the interests of the crown and his loyalty to the church of england steeled him against the almost incessant attacks and rebuffs that he was called upon to endure and his entire inability to see any other cause than his own saved him from the discouragements that must certainly have broken a man more sensitive than himself he exhibited at times some of the obduracy of the zealot and martyr at others he displayed unexpected good sense in protesting against extremes of action that he thought unjust or unwise he was honest and indefatigable in the pursuit of what he believed to be his duty and was ill-requited for his labours but he was a persistent fault-finder and his letters are masterpieces of complaint he was thrice married his second wife dying at the height of his troubles in massachusetts and he had five children all daughters one of whom proved a grievous disappointment to him though he held many offices he was always in debt and died poor at the age of seventy in accomac county in virginia he was far from being the best man to send to new england but his natural obstinacy and his determination to overcome difficulties were intensified by the discourteous and tactless manner in which he was received by the puritans he had no sympathy with the efforts of the old faction to save the colony and the people of massachusetts responded with a bitter and lasting hate randolph landed at boston on june and remained in the colony until the end of july about six weeks altogether he visited plymouth new hampshire and maine interviewed men in authority and all sorts of other people and he came to the conclusion that the majority of the inhabitants were discontented with the boston regime. the magistrates ignored his presence as much as they dared refusing to recognize him as anything but an enemy representing the mason and gorges claims and insisting that though the king might enlarge their privileges he could not abridge them randolph thoroughly nettled returned to england prepared to do his worst he sent several reports to the king and constantly appeared before the privy council and the lords of trade each time doing all the damage that he could he had undoubtedly got much of his information from prejudiced sources or from hearsay and he was as eager to retail it as had been the massachusetts authorities to blast the moral character of the king's commissioners he denounced the old faction as cunning deceptive overbearing and disloyal he called the clergy proud ignorant imperious and inclined to sedition and he denounced those in authority as inconsiderable mechanics packed by the prevailing party of the factious ministry with a fellow-feeling both in the command and the prophets his picture of the colony containing much that was near the truth was at the same time distorted out of proportion and in parts almost a caricature his most effective reports were those which laid stress upon the failure of the colony to obey the navigation acts and the royal commands and upon its use of the word commonwealth as if the corporation were already an independent state these reports were accepted by the english authorities as correct statements of fact for they seemed to be confirmed by the evidence of london merchants and by at least one west indian governor who knew the colony and had no personal interests at stake in october sixteen hundred and seventy six massachusetts sent over two of its leading men william stoughton a magistrate and peter bulkley speaker of the house of representatives to ward off if possible the attack on the colony but with characteristic short-sightedness gave them no authority to discuss officially anything but the mason and gorges claims for more than two years these men representative rather of the moderate party than of the old faction in the colony remained in england frequently appearing before the lords of trade where they were subjected to a searching examination at the hands of a not very sympathetic body of men the meetings in the council chamber in whitehall where the committee sat were occasions full of interest and excitement at one of them on april eighth sixteen hundred and seventy seven Bulkley, randolph mason and sir edmund andros governor of new york for the duke were all present and the agents must have found the situation awkward and embarrassing the committee expressed its resentment at the colony's habit of disobedience and evasion and showed no inclination to adopt a moderate policy advocating on the contrary investigation from the whole route the position of a massachusetts agent in england during these trying years was most undesirable and so many difficulties and discouragements did stoughton and bulkley encounter that several times they asked for permission to return home and once at least had to go to the country for their health but whatever were the troubles of an agent in england they were trifling as compared with those which confronted him at home when he failed as he almost invariably did fail to obtain all that the colony expected cotton mather tells us that norton died in sixteen hundred and sixty-three of melancholy and chagrin and that for forty years there was not one agent but met with some very froward entertainment among his countrymen no wonder it was always difficult to find men who were willing to go at first the lords of trade favored the sending of a supplemental charter and the extending of a pardon to the colony but as the evidence against massachusetts accumulated they began to consider the revision of the laws the appointment of a collector of customs and a royal governor and even the annulment of the charter itself in short they determined to bring massachusetts under a more palpable declaration of obedience to his majesty the general court of the colony although it had said that any breach in the wall would endanger the whole was at last frightened by the news from england and passed an order in october sixteen hundred and seventy seven that the laws of trade must be strictly observed and lady magistrates and deputies alike took the oath of allegiance prescribed by the crown promising to drop the word commonwealth for the future the members of the assembly wrote an amazing letter pietistic and cringing in which they prostrated themselves before the king asked to be numbered among his poor yet humble and loyal subjects and begged for a renewal of all their privileges at best such a letter could have done little in england to increase respect for the colony but any good results expected from it were completely destroyed by the serious blunder which the colony made at this time in purchasing from the gorges claimants the title to the province of maine which with new hampshire had recently been declared by the chief justices of the king's bench and common pleas to lie outside of the jurisdiction of massachusetts this attempt to obtain without the royal consent a territory which the legal advisers of the crown had decided massachusetts could not have only strengthened the determination of the authorities in england to bring the colony into the king's hand by the appointment of a royal governor for the moment however the uprising of bacon in virginia and the popish plot in england so distracted the government that it was obliged to slight or to postpone much of its business it did succeed in settling the perplexing question of new hampshire for having obtained from mason a renunciation of all his claims to the government though leaving him with full title to the soil it organized that territory as a colony under the control of the crown with these matters out of the way or less exigent the lords of trade returned to the affairs of new england they wished before proceeding to extremes to give massachusetts another chance to be heard so in dismissing the agents in the autumn of sixteen hundred and seventy nine they instructed the colony to send over within six months others fully prepared to answer the misdemeanors imputed against them they also decided to send randolph back as collector and surveyor of customs with letters to all the new england colonies ordering them to enforce the acts of trade and another to massachusetts requiring that she provide a minister for those in boston who wished an anglican church randolph who left for new england for the second time in december sixteen hundred and seventy nine has the distinction of being the first royal official appointed for any of the northern colonies almost his first task was to settle the province of new hampshire under royal authority with a government consisting of a president a council and an assembly thus british control in new england was making progress and the worst fears of the old faction in massachusetts were being realized it is difficult to understand the attitude of massachusetts her leaders probably thought that with the settlement of the mason and gorges claims the most serious source of trouble with england was disposed of they believed honestly enough though the wish was father to the thought that the colony lay beyond the reach of parliament and that the laws of england were bounded by the four seas and did not reach america hence they deemed the navigation acts an invasion of their liberties and could not bring themselves to obey them as to england's new colonial policy it is doubtful if they grasped it at all or would have acknowledged it as applicable to themselves even if they had understood it the experiences and reports of their agents in england seem to have taught them nothing and served only to confirm their belief that a steward was a tyrant and that all english authorities were natural enemies they had labored and suffered in the vineyard of the lord and they wished to be let alone to enjoy their dearly won privileges randolph wrote soon after his arrival in new england that the colony was acting as high as ever and that it was in every one's mouth that they are not subject to the laws of england nor were such laws in force until confirmed by their authority the colony neglected to send the agents demanded alleging expense the dangers of the sea the difficulty of finding any one to accept the post and their belief that king and council were taken up with matters of greater importance until finally in september sixteen hundred eighty the king wrote an exceedingly sharp letter calling the excuses insufficient pretenses and commanding that agents be sent within three months strange to say the colony even then allowed a year to elapse before complying and again instructed those whom they sent to agree to nothing that concerned the charter before the agents arrived in the summer of sixteen hundred and eighty two the royal patience was exhausted randolph's continued complaints that he was obstructed in every way in the performance of his duties the act of the colony in setting up a naval office of its own the revival of an old law imposing the death penalty upon any one who should attempt the alteration or subversion of the frame of government the opinion of the attorney-general that the colony had done quite enough to warrant the forfeiture of its charter and the delay in sending the agents which seemed a further flouting of the royal commands all these things brought matters to a crisis therefore when finally the massachusetts agents reached england they found the situation hopeless it is a hard service we are engaged in they wrote we stand in need of help from heaven their want of powers provoked the lords of trade to say that unless they were procured the charter would be forfeited at once randolph was called back in may sixteen hundred and eighty three to aid in the legal proceedings which were immediately set on foot other charters were falling that of the bermuda company was under attack that of the city of london was already forfeited and those of other english boroughs were in danger on june twenty seven a writ of quo warranto was issued out of the court of king's bench against the colony the agents refusing to defend the suit returned to new england and the writ was given to randolph to serve he reached boston in october but owing to delays in the colony and a tempestuous voyage back he was unable to return it to england within the allotted time the first attempt failed but another was soon made by the advice of the attorney-general suit was brought in the court of chancery by writ of Scire facius against the company and upon the rendering of judgment for non-appearance the charter was declared forfeited on october twenty three sixteen hundred and eighty four though the colony was given no opportunity to defend the suit the charter was legally vacated according to the forms of english law the colony was but a corporation its charter but a corporation charter and in only one respect did it differ from other corporations namely its residence in america the methods of vacating corporate charters in england were definite and in this case were strictly followed had massachusetts been a corporation in fact as well as in law it is doubtful if the question of illegality would ever have been raised but as this particular corporation was a puritan commonwealth the issue was so vital to its continuance as to lead to the charge of unjust and illegal oppression on moral grounds a defense of the colony is always possible though it is difficult to uphold the massachusetts system it was certainly neither popular nor democratic tolerant nor progressive and in any case it must eventually have undergone transformation from within the city of boston was increasing in wealth and importance and trade was bringing it into ever closer contact with the outside world there were growing up in the colony more open-minded and progressive men who were opposing the dominance of the country party which found its last governor Leverett, its chief advocates among the clergy and its strength in the house of representatives and which wished to preserve things as they always had been the leaders of this conservative party danforth nowell cook and others struggled courageously against all concessions but they were bound to be beaten in the end that the conservative members of the colony were thoroughly in earnest and thoroughly convinced of the absolute righteousness of their position admits of no doubt no man could speak of the loss of the charter as a breach in the hedge which kept us from the wild beasts of the field as did cotton mather without expressing a fear of a Stuart, of an anglican and of a papist that was as real as the terrors of witchcraft to the orthodox puritans the preservation of their religious doctrines and government and the maintenance of their moral and social standards were a duty to god and to admit change was a sin against the divine command but such an unyielding system could not last in fact it was already giving way though conjecture is difficult it seems likely that the english interference delayed rather than hastened the natural growth and transformation of the colony because it united moderates and irreconcilables against a common enemy the authority of the crown End of chapter nine.